the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Good morning, my dear friends, to all our dear audience on KNUS 710 AM or via podcast. I welcome all of you. This morning, we shall interact first by waking up, praising God. If you're sad, allow God to put a joy, a smile on your face. If you're married, give a good and warm greeting to your wife or to your husband. Give a good warm morning hug or welcome to your children and to all those who live with you. And do me a favor. It's okay to turn on your radio at 9.30 a.m. on Sunday morning and contact friends so they can join in as well. Next, of course, let us warm up the day by being nice to each other and by being nice to the Lord. This is Father Andre and good Holy Sunday morning with God. Good Holy Sunday morning, my dearly beloved brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, now and forever. Amen. Hallelujah. Happy Feast Day of the Holy Cross. On September 14, every year, Christians in the world celebrate the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. Did you know, for instance, that the cross is a major relic in Christianity? The cross, along with many other things, are known in the history of Christianity to be called the relics of Jesus Christ. At least ten, um, I would call them relics or artifacts, are known under the title of the relics of the passion, for instance. These were elements, tools, things that they connected directly to Jesus. Christians searched for these relics. They hid them. When they were in exile, they took them away from them. Sometimes nations occupied nations, and they stole the wood of the cross, and they would take it to other places when Roman Empire was being sieged um, in the east. The Byzantine, the Byzantine Empire in Turkey, currently in Istanbul, in Constantinople, the historical Constantinople, all these relics uh, were being taken, escaping with them, so they can run away with them to bring them to Rome. Otherwise, the enemy would have gotten them and they would have confiscated them. You know, these elements or these artifacts are considered to, to be a source of major blessings, a source of an extraordinary power, in which presence many miracles would happen and did happen. Even the dead were raised. Even the blind's eyes were opened. Even the crippled were able to walk. Those uh, who had possessions by demons were healed and were freed completely and restored to life. Cities would be protected. Huge armies will be defeated and plagues will disappear. There is this uh, famous story from northern Syria and, um, of course, between Turkey and Syria and northern Iraq. There was this um, Syriac kingdom. You know, Jesus sent 72 disciples in one of the places in the Bible, and he sent them two by two, according to the gospel, if you remember that story. And Jesus tells his uh, 72 disciples, he said, you go to every city where I am supposed to go. In another 
gospel, the gospel tells us he sent 500 disciples. So Jesus did not only have 12 apostles. He had the 12 apostles being the closest to him, but he had disciples as well. And then history of Christianity, we know that uh, four out of the 70 or 72 disciples were names Haddai and Mari, or Addai and Mari. And both these students of Jesus, while Jesus was still alive, they actually went to the Syriac kingdom. See, during the time of Jesus, there were two main empires. There was the Roman Empire, and there was the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire currently from Iran to Iraq to some areas between Turkey and Syria, all the way almost to the confine of the city of Antioch, which was inside the Roman Empire, but it was kind of like on the borders. But between both empires, there was this little Syriac kingdom, this little state that was an independent state between both, between the huge Roman Empire and the huge Persian Empire. It was known as the Syriac kingdom of Edessa and Nizibis. And these little two kingdoms, which counted parts of uh, northern Syria, parts of uh, Lebanon, parts of uh, um, mostly in northern Iraq as well, a little bit of inside Turkey, so that would be east of Antioch, that little Syriac kingdom, and somehow withheld all these two big powers, the Roman Empire couldn't get to it, and the Persian Empire couldn't get to it. The two disciples, Adai and Mari, ended up going to the king of the city of Edessa and Nizibis. His name is Abgar. And they preached to him about the master and they told him what the master in Jerusalem is teaching. And of course, Jesus was still alive. If you remember, before even his passion, his death, and his resurrection. And it seems that the king of God actually converted to Christianity. He believed in the teachings of the master. And uh, in that place, in this little Syriac kingdom, was born the church that is not a Roman church, that is outside of the Roman Empire Church, basically, was born the Church of Babylon, or the Church of the East, or the Assyrian and the Chaldean churches. This is where their heritage goes back to. Now Jesus dies, Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus is buried in a tomb, and you have the shroud of Jesus Christ. And the shroud of Jesus Christ, once Christians are being persecuted, Somebody takes that shroud and actually takes it into hiding along with other relics of the Passion of Christ and they hid them for centuries inside Edessa and Nizibis. And they were objects of veneration by the king himself and by the people in these two cities. We are told that during Good Friday that the shroud of Jesus Christ was buried in the... Um, fans and the walls of the actual city of Edessa and Nizibis actually. And every Good Friday, the shroud from the wall would come out in the, in the shape of the Lord Jesus Christ. What else beside the wood of the Holy Cross um, is considered to be the uh, Christ Jesus relics? So we have the Holy Nails, we have the one Genesis spear, you know, one Genesis is the officer who pierced Jesus on the cross and from whose side blood and water flowed to irrigate the whole world, as we say in our liturgy. 
there is the pillar of scourging. You know, not far from me is uh, this beautiful little church known as Santa Presede. Santa Presede is one of the early church saints, early, early church saints in the first century almost, um, where she was known that she would go and she would pick up at night from the Colosseum and the great circus known as Circo Massimo. She would go and she would drain um, with, she would wipe out from the floor of the great circus or Circo Massimo and from the Colosseum the blood of the Christian martyrs. And she would collect their bones, unfortunately, whatever remains on their flesh, and she would actually give them a sacred burial near the area in which they were killed. It was due to her doom, to her veneration of the bones of the martyrs and the blood of the martyrs, that we know where St. Peter was buried, actually. And on that site, the first basilica of St. Peter under Constantine the Great, after the 4th century, was built. So the pillar of scourging is this little pillar uh, that you can find inside that church. It's actually on inside of that church. In that church also, you find the earliest depicting, the earliest imagery in the walls of the church and in the roof of the church and a ceiling and the ceiling of the church of the Via Crucis, the stations and the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ. So what else we have as relics for the passion of Christ? Now they are talking about the Holy Cross. You have the veil of Manopello. This is the veil of Veronica. You know Veronica, this lady who met Jesus and she wiped his face and then his face shines and appears through um, the veil that she carried as he was walking on the stations of the cross, in the way of the cross. Then we have the Sudarium of, of Yedo, or the Sudarium, which means it's the Holy Cloth that covers the face of Jesus when he was buried in the tomb. Then, as we were talking earlier, you have the Shroud of Turin. Then you have the relics of Aften. The relics of Aften, Aften is a city in Germany. You know, we are told that in year 799, 799, Charlemagne, the king, um, collected a second shroud. He received a gift from the Patriarch of Jerusalem in the year 799. A second shroud. What is this second shroud is about? According to Jewish customs, when somebody um, unfortunately has been crucified, bleeds a lot. So when they take it down from the cross, they use a first shroud to wipe out the blood. Then they put him in a clean shroud. And it seems that it was that first shroud in which they drained the blood. They, they wiped from Jesus' dying dead body, all the blood that remained on him. This is actually a earlier shroud. It didn't go with the Jesus to the tomb, but then somehow collected the blood and was taken and was kept in Jerusalem. And in year 799, the Patriarch of Jerusalem gave that shroud to King Shalomai. And also, if uh, we know other things as well, we have uh, the holy crown of Jesus Christ, the crown of the forms. And then we have the holy coat. You know, in general, nations, kingdoms, let fights against one another because of the mysterious power and the theological value of these relics. And most of all, these relics were so known, they were so prominent in the first uh, millennium, specifically in the first 400 to 600 years of Christianity. Why? Because they connected to the passion of Christ. And why the passion of Christ 
was so important because it brought before the eyes of all the Christians the martyrdom as a value and as a mean to share with Christ in his suffering so they can experience the power of his resurrection. That's why the theological values of these relics indicates to us the historical reality of martyrdom and the historical reality of the finding of the wood of the cross, which was a quest. People wanted to find the value of the cross. They wanted this instrument as a part of validating the incarnation of the Lord, his life, his passion, his death, and his resurrection. Not only this, but also we have Jesus' major, for instance, is a relic for Jesus, but not connected to his passion. You know, he was born in Bethlehem. We are told that in the 4th century, St. Uh, Jerome went to Bethlehem. He brought the manger and some other relics containing also the cape of um, the Virgin Mary and the mantle of Joseph. And he brought them with him to Rome and he puts them in the Anastasia church uh, next to the Palatino hill. I visited the, that church and I visited the relics myself. And later on, the actual uh, manger, the woods of the manger of the Lord, will move to this beautiful, beautiful basilica of St. Mary Major or Santa Maria Maggiore. This and more brings us to our today's radio show. Good Sunday morning. Um, good, good Sunday morning with Father Andre. Uh, but first, let us pray together. O oh God, come to my assistance. O oh Lord, make haste to help me. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Vexilla regis prodeunt, fulget crucis mysterium, quo carne carnis conditor, suspensus est patibulo. The royal banner forward goes, the mystic cross, refulgent glows, were he in flesh, flesh who made, upon the tree of pain is laid. O crux ave, spes unica, hoc passionis tempore, auge pis justitiam, reisque dona veniam. O cross, all hail, soul hope, abide with us now in this passionate night. Now grace and pious hearts implant, new grace and pious hearts implant, and pardon to the guilty grant. Te summa Deus Trinitas, con laudet omnis spiritus, quos per ucis mysterium salvas regi per secula. Amen. O thee, mighty Trinity, one God, let every living creature loud in by the cross thou dost deliver. Amen. Well, this was the hymn for the Holy Cross called Vexilla Regis, or the Royal Banner. You know, it was chanted for the first time during a big, big procession which took place on November 19 in the year 569 of our Lord. November 19 in the year 569 of our Lord. At that time, Emperor Justin II sent a relic of the true wood of the cross at the 
request of one of the queens in Europe. And uh, he made this historical procession from the city of Tour all the way to Poitiers. Both are cities in France. But we are also told as well other stories about the wood of the cross. You know, after the year 627, Patriarch Zechariah of Jerusalem, along with the wood of the cross, and thousands of Christians returned to Jerusalem from an exile. They have been taken in exile in Persia for about 18 years. It was until King Heraclius, the Byzantine king, had launched a war against Persia in order to return the wood of the cross and the patriarch and thousands of Christians into the holy city, Yushurashalayim, the Jerusalem. And the patriarch Zechariah received the king and the holy city and venerated the holy wood of the cross, walking to the Anastasia, or the place of the crucifixion, death, burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We were told there is a story that tells us that um, when uh, they basically succeeded to liberate the freedom of the cross from Persia, Christians all the way from Persian lands, so in Iran and Iraq, all the way to Jerusalem, all the way to Antioch, all the way to Byzantium and Constantinople, the way they told each other that the Bajok was freed and that the wood of the cross is being returned, they lit a fire from one hill to the other, one mountain to the next, indicating through the code of the fire at night that the wood of the cross has been found, restored, and then the patriarch and the people have been freed and liberated. Until today, if you know, it is actually the tradition and the custom in Italy, in Lebanon, in the east, in much of the areas of the Middle East, that on September 14, the vigil of the cross on September 13 at night, we actually light up fire on the hills, and from hill to hill, indicating the finding of the wood of the cross, its return to Jerusalem. You know, this, uh, the nun, her name is uh, Hagaria. Um, this nun is a Spanish nun who in the 4th century, around the same time of Queen Helen, of whom we shall speak a little bit on our show, uh, Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre. we were told that she actually went to the Holy Land and she saw in her own eyes, that every every holy week, the patriarch of Jerusalem around 3 a.m. in the morning, at the time when Jesus was betrayed, at the time when Jesus was delivered, would go up to the mountain where Jesus was basically hung on the cross. That mountain of Dolgotha is known in history as Anastasia, or the place of death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then people would chant psalms and hymns and prayers, throughout the entire night until the preacher walks out of his house carrying a silver big box and he raises from that big silver box the wood of the cross the real wood, the true wood of the cross of Jesus Christ and there he would put it in veneration for all the people and they read the Gospels of the Passion and during the reading of the Gospels of the Passion, when time comes and they state that Jesus left and he submitted his soul to his father's hand People would weep and would lament and would scream and they would cry out loud. Of course, in sympathy and in compassion, in emotional prayer, 
with the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those stories of our faith, myself, my friends, also we have pieces of the wood of the cross that went to the actual individuals in the world. You know, my own grandpa, actually, my dad's dad, carried a piece of the wood of the cross under his skin. It is known in Lebanon that um, we pass an inheritance. You know how you give inheritance to your children? You give money, you give land, cars, you give precious stones, you give precious things. In Lebanon and in the Middle East, actually, we pass an inheritance from father to son for centuries now a peace relic of the wood of the cross. Many of our families have it. In my family, my grandpa had it, my dad's dad. And unfortunately, in the late um, 1930s, my grandpa, who was a big, wonderful hunter, very generous man, he heard the voice of somebody falling as of his fallen from a rock from the cliffs of a high mountain in Akura area in Ojibwe, where we live. And then upon hearing the voice who was needing a rescue, he went, and as he was trying to reach down to um, basically, as it seems that the man fell and he got stuck on the branch and that was his only salvation until somebody pulls him up so he can be saved so he doesn't fall all the way to the bottom of the valley. Deep valleys in Lebanon, deep valleys. Unbelievable height of these cliffs. My grandpa was a hunter and the other man was hunting. The other man, um, he was carrying his rifle on his shoulder. Unfortunately, as my grandpa pulled up to carry him up, the man's rifle let go, actually fired, fired. And at this fire, it hit my grandpa in his head and it killed him. But they came, they carried my grandpa to the house, to the village. And then somehow my grandpa would not die. His spirit would not leave him. Until my grandma told the priest that my grandpa carried a wood of the cross, carried a piece of the relic of the wood of the cross. And it is a custom in Lebanon that the minute they removed that relic of the cross from his arm, his right arm, per se, my grandpa's soul left him, and then he died. You know, this is the same village where the Mission of Hope and Mercy is trying to do a lot of good work. We support the school of the Holy Family, the congregation of uh, the, the sisters of the Holy Family, where we have about 250 students for two months and about 20 or 25 uh, teachers and employees. This is the same town that needs support, medical support, where they need like a uh, urgent care center. We need a good ambulance that is equipped because not only my grandpa died from that, because people actually die in these mountains in accidents, whether from poison or they fall off of a cliff or they die in, in, in shooting accidents in these mountains. And unfortunately, the closest hospital is about an hour away. So if they're bleeding, there's no rescue for them. So I want to thank for all of those. It's just like a an occasion for me to thank all those who support the work of the Mission of Hope and Mercy to stabilize and to maintain the Christians in the mountains of Lebanon. I really want to thank you so much. Continue your support. And I want to thank those who send me beautiful notes with every donation they send us to our address in Lakewood 2459 South Chase Lane, Lakewood, Colorado. And those who send us also electronic donations by going on our website, missionofhopeandmercy.org. Thank you so much. You are in my prayers. Next time, I'll tell you about my ritual that I keep on myself, recalling your intentions and your prayers. But let's go back to the wood of the cross. Before all of this, you know, let's go to the year of 313 AD when Emperor Constantine the Great, in honor of the victory he received in miracle of the cross, which appeared in the sky to him, 
and 306 Tellingham in hoc signo vinces in Greek and tutunica, which literally means winning with this. We translate it usually in English with this son, you shall conquer your enemies. History tells us that he sent his mother, Queen Helen, after that to the Middle East to look for the true wood of the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, for the first three centuries, Christians were mostly taken at talking about martyrdom. They hardly actually talked about the Christology uh, of Jesus Christ. They didn't talk about him as a son of God, son of man. All these councils came after the fourth century, at, during the fourth century. But before that, Christians were connected more to Our Lady and to the wood of the cross. Hundreds of thousands of Christians throughout both the Roman Empire and the Persian Empire were living underground. Millions of Christians throughout both Roman and Persian Empire, there was about between 6 to 15 million Christians at the time, were severely persecuted. Hundreds of thousands of them were killed as martyrs for their faith. So during that time of terrible suffering, the love of the Holy Cross and for Our Lady grew a lot in both the East and the West. So consequently, the cross and Our Lady became, since that time, two sons of the faith in Jesus Christ. Yet both were the history became contradicted. You know, Muslim conquestors would attack Christians, accusing them until today that they worship wood. They call us wood worshippers. Christians, on the other hand, they are divided in what around the person and the role of the Virgin Mary, Mother of God, as a subject of veneration or not, or simply a regular, um, you know, favorite woman by the Lord. Same thing for the cross with the crucifix. Yet we know that in Christianity, as history will tell us, uh, both the cross and Our Lady indicate a destination of the church and a call for all the nations to accept salvation in Jesus Christ. It is not by coincidence that the ship of Christopher Columbus who discovered the new world and the Americas was called Santa Maria. You know, these things, my dear friends in our Lord Jesus Christ, I do invite you to pray about and to discern in your life and with me as well. And remember at the end was a sign of the cross. The victory of Jesus Christ at the Mount cross and through Our Lady, the incarnation of Jesus Christ happened that the Son of God became man in order to save us. Amen. Thanks for joining us today for Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre. Father Andre and his team rely on your prayers and generosity to help feed over 5,000 families in Lebanon every month. Go to missionofhopeandmercy.org to learn more. Your support helps buy supplies from local farms and factories, employ truckers to ship the food, all to let these families know they are not forgotten. Go to missionofhopeandmercy.org and donate today. And join us next week at 9.30 a.m. for Good Sunday Morning with Father Andre. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.